You are now tuned in to episode 105 of the Midwest Angler Podcast. You're Scott Sturman and I'm Matt Deitch. That's right. How did you know that? I just took a wild guess. You look dumb, but you're not as dumb as what you appear. You know, that's what my teachers always used to that's say to me in school. Holy they were cow, surprised. Kid, you look dumb as heck, but... <laughs> How did you know that? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, that's got to be a good feeling when you can surprise a teacher every once in a while. Like, you know, you come walking into class the first day and, and uh, you just think like, oh man, you... Well, you know, and as our a, guest today knows. Exactly. You guys a, are both teachers. As a teacher now, there's many times where you walk into the teacher's lounge or the break room and you'd be like, man, that kid is a lot smarter than they look. <laughs> You're going to get fired for saying <laughs> something like that. There it is, guys. Matt Deitch is a dirtbag. No. No. Hey, I got. I was talking to Euler and BCAV, and, and they they just think it's great that I say dirtbag all the time. They dirt almost bag. think that, that that's what the audience's name should be. The dirt The dirtbags, because I say it. I, what did you do? I didn't, I didn't realize. You say that. You well, say I know I call bag. people what drips a, a lot, but, you know, dirtbags and drips, and I don't know. Hey, I, I mean, it's fun. It's that's fun. That's right. Everyone should start putting it in their... Uh, Repertoire. Rep- oh, French over there. See? They don't They don't fish in France. I bet you they don't. No. Nah. You can't do this in France. The only person that I know would probably fish in France is Buddy Ziner, and that's a, that's about it. Buddy Ziner? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's fished in France. <laughs> he's, he's He seems like a French fisherman. So. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we already alluded to it. Uh, we've got uh, we've got two teachers on the show today, Matt Deitch and Scott Brower, who is a teacher out in New York. And I know what you're thinking. New York City. Yeah, New York. You know, this is the Midwest Angler Podcast. Well, guess what, guys? Uh, It turns out uh, that Scott Brower's business is uh, booming here in the Midwest. That's right. Mr. Scott Brower is the owner, the maker. uh, The mind. He he is Mr. Mackie Plastics. And and I know everybody knows Mackie Plastics. Uh, You know, they've teamed up with Cold Snap Outdoors. They've teamed up with Clam. Uh, to offer all sorts of different, uh, not just ice fishing, but you can use these plastics, open water, oh, whatever, yeah. but uh, uh, small, you know, microplastics, uh, um, you know, to, to put on jigs, uh, you know. It's it, something that, you know, the, the last many years, it seems like. Oh, it exploded. Become, yeah. Right. Like growing up, I can't really remember ever even thinking about using pla- like much for plastics when you were out ice fishing. It was always a live bait type deal. So Right. Well, and, and I mean, I, I'll, I'll flat out admit, uh, as, as much as I am a fan of, of Scott Brower and Mackie Plastics, if I'm going to use plastics, they'll be Mackie Plastics, but it's hard for me to get away from these waxworms. It is. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm getting you there. You are. And, and, you know, like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I'm just, I'm slowly, but surely, you know, you, you put them on and, and, you know, it's just a shift in confidence, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, yeah. when, when a new bait uh, comes out, you know, you, you gotta, I've, I've had great days with black check eye jigs and wax worms. I've had spectacular days. So it's hard for me to go away from, but I don't know what the heck is wrong with me late in the year. I'm, I'm an early, early winter fisherman late in the year. I really start to not do as good. Like I, I can do really good all year long. And then it always seems like the last trip or two of the year, like right at the very end, late ice, I'm still trying to put on waxworms and mats over there using plastics, and I kind of get my butt kicked every time, and then it puts a real sour taste in my mouth for the whole right. entire rest of the year. Because I mean, 
let's be honest, like nine times out of ten, I whoop Matt in fishing. And then there's always that one time. (laughs) And then it's always, I was just kidding, guys. Matt Matt beats me more often. Oh, no. He's being honest now. Now you're being modest. Modest. Modest and honest. Don't be a dirtbag. Don't be a dirtbag. Hey, I ain't going to be a dirtbag. And you know what? If I'm if I gotta quit being a dirtbag, we're gonna get over to our guest. And we're here today with Scott Brower of Mackie Plastics. Scott, how's it going? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing pretty well here today. Doing good. Yeah. What's uh, your weather like? You guys you guys are obviously fishing out there or did you lose some ice? No, uh, we've been making ice, so yeah. pretty good. We were out on the ice yesterday, so we it's, had it, and then it went out here in New York, and then it came back, and so we can kind of tiptoe right now, but it's still, you know, not great ice yet. We're not running machines yet, for sure. So Okay. Yeah, well, they're, just, they're just kind of starting to run machines around here a little bit. Yeah. Well, Scott, uh, we always like to get our shows uh, started off with a couple of random questions, and uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, I, I want to know... If uh, Craig Euler and Scott Merwin were going to get into a hand-to-hand combat, who do you think would uh, come away with the win? Well, let me tell you this, and, and I know you guys are football guys, but I'm going to I'm going to take it back to the wrestling days. And Craig Euler actually um, used to be a world champion uh, foot wrestler. I don't know if you guys know this or not. We didn't. He was. So I have to go with, always with the wrestler. I'll always go with the wrestler. Even though Scotty's from Texas, you know, he's everything's bigger in Texas, whatever. But uh, I got to go with Craig Euler on this one. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. uh, we don't want any sour feelings, Merwin, but uh, I mean, you just, you, you're not coming away with the dub. You need to practice well, a little bit. I'm going to a shot over that. I'm quite certain there'll be a shot over my bow on that one, but I'm, uh, I'm sticking I'm sticking to my guns. I'm going with Euler for okay. 5,000 jacks. <laughs> That's good stuff. How about how about your favorite fast food restaurant? Ah, uh, you know, with with my diet, I just can't really eat fast food anymore. But I guess my favorite fast food, like we're on the way ice fishing, the three of us, we got to stop in this place we don't really want to stop in because it looks like it might have herpes. <laughs> But we got to get something to eat or we're going to die because we, you know, stayed up too late the night before. I'm going to go with Little Debbie's Cinnamon Snacks. Now, I know that wasn't exactly what you were looking for, but that's where I'm going. No, the, I'm you can't go wrong with a gas station, a little gas yeah. station snack. That's so much of a part of a fishing trip is to see who's going to have to run in first to that, see what they got to get rid of. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's kind of like playing Russian roulette when you're going in there. It's just like... Who's, uh, we're not sitting in the same shack, so. Oh, jeez. <laughs> on that one, by the way, I'm totally going with Merwin because that guy's got a gut like a uh, like a uh, an old goat. He's an old goat. <laughs> He'll yeah. eat the plastic wrapper and all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Oh man, that that's funny. Uh, yeah. You know, Scott. Uh, obviously. Uh, People may know you because, uh, you know, Mackie Plastics. Everybody that's uh, fishing now knows Mackie Plastics. Uh, uh, I, I would say they're the most popular plastic brand uh, out on the ice. But uh, how, how long have you been doing that, and how did you first get into it? You know, it's a funny story, and it starts a lot like almost every fishing story. So we're sitting out on Ricky's uh, porch by his, uh, his on his cottage on Oneida Lake, and uh, my buddy Tony Busco, who I say that loosely because um, 
he's one of those characters online, but uh, he he brought out uh, some whips, and they were made, I think, from a guy in Michigan, and uh, they were nice. They were like an inch and a half, but they were those triangle whips. Remember those back in the day? This was in the late 90s. And he said, what if these things were made to, um, you know, more like bugs, more like, like the fish, the food that fish actually ate? Well, I'm a school teacher. My big boy job is a school teacher still today, by the way. Um, and I teach automated machining, robotics, manufacturing, engineering, all that stuff in, uh, in a technical high school. And so I had to do mold making anyways within the next couple of weeks. I said, you know, let me try making a couple of to see I, how hard can it be. We'll melt down Mr. Twisters and see what we can do. Well, that was in 98. And uh, so I cut a few molds and I gave them to Tony because I didn't want any part of it because I I was making a living as a teacher and I just I, I had no desire to run a business because I'm not a businessman. And uh, so I gave him the first couple of molds and he goes, yeah, these are pretty cool, but nothing ever came of it. And I cut a few more as my kids would get into it. So my students started getting into this and they're like, okay, bro, if we cut a mold, um, we can get points for that. I go, yeah, we're doing mold making. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Let's go get to work. And they go, well, what if we go catch fish with them? Can we get points for that? I'm like, yeah, if you take a picture, I'll give you credit for that. He goes, what if we bring the fish in? Can we have a fish fry? So that's how it actually got started. <laughs> and then the next year comes, and a couple other kids from other schools heard about it, and they go, can we do that fish thing? And so it just kind of became this thing that's bigger than life and came back to me. And that's that's really how Mackie Plastic was started. So it really was a conversation on the, on the front porch of a cottage when we weren't actually fishing. And... You know, I made a few of them, and, and just to show my kids, because I always show them how to do stuff before I ask them to do stuff, and, and then it just kind of blossomed into this thing bigger than life. And then um, Kevin and Richie won the, the championship uh, with a Mackie, uh, I believe, that next year. And um, so then it, it became like a kind of a subculture thing. And then it just kept getting, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger every year to the point where we had to incorporate and, you know, get serious about what we were going to do and that's just kind of where it blossomed from it was uh you know it was, it was never meant to be what it is now but but for sure now we're kind of the Davy and Goliath story because we're still this tiny little company um and now we're co-branded with you know Goliath which is the biggest company in in uh, in ice fishing which is Clam which uh is a great partnership between the two of us where they just let me make baits design baits cut baits and put them in packages for them and they they do all the marketing and the selling of them. So, it's, uh, you know, we have a huge product line uh, because I'm such a bug nerd, which I'm sure we're going to get into at some point. Uh, once I got into this from that very first, very first casual conversation, it uh, it really kind of intrigued me to the point where I'm like, well, you know, what else do they eat? What else do they eat? What else do they eat? Now we got 45 different bugs and 12 different colors. That's and that's just the stock stuff. So that's uh, that's kind of where it works came to and in a real abrupt way kind of where we're at today yeah cool yeah very cool now was there anybody else making ice fishing plastics when when you started doing this yeah there was uh, you know i little adam was out there i think they were making uh, uh they were they were on i think in the 50s um i don't you know i don't think they were specifically plastics but little adam was out there um like i said there was this guy in michigan that was that was kind of a guy because i don't know if you guys have ever or heard from heard about the Midwest Open, but it's one of the bigger money places you could possibly earn money in ice fishing. 
Knutson's runs that. And he was around there somewhere in the Irish Hills in Michigan, and we used to go out there and fish. And so I picked up a few of these things and, and you know, played with these little whips. And, and, and a, you know, there just wasn't the shapes. Um, kind of our gig, our specialty, is, you know, mimicking both in movement, look, and, and taste, and, and feel, ultimately, with the plastics, too, um, what a bug really, how it really exists in the water table. And that's kind of where our specialty came into be, which is... Um, I, like I said, became so intrigued by these things that swim in the water. And, you know, I bought a camera, underwater camera, when it became, you know, cheap enough that you wouldn't get divorced for it, but you'd still get in trouble. <laughs> That's right. They get over it. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, I, I grew up with Jacques Cousteau, which you guys are both too young. You may know of who he is, but, you know, I grew up with that, um, watching that on, you know, underwater footage of fish when I was a kid and just was intrigued by watching everything underwater. So it, it just, it, it's kind of how your world just comes together at some point and you find your destiny, I guess. That's right. So how did you come up with the name Maki? Okay. So we say Maki plastic Ma- out here on the That's right. Um, because Mackie. when we say Maki, then the people from the Midwest, they look at us funny. So we say <laughs> Maki out here in the East. Um, but this it's another funny story. And every funny story begins with, you know, some of my buddies, but this is my buddy Swapper, which if you have a buddy named Swapper, you know it's going to be a good story. <laughs> That's <then>. right. <laughs> Actually, he's a much better story than, than how he came up with it. So anyways, I was naming one of my, I, I nestled right between um, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, 45 minutes from each way. So literally some of the best perch fishing and walleye fishing is 45 minutes from my door, trout and salmon the other way. So literally two great lakes. Um, and I grew up fishing both of them and then all of the Finger Lakes in New York State for panfish and, and the rest of the stuff. But I had a salmon boat at the time, and we were big into salmon tournaments back in the 80s um, because uh, that's just there, that's where the money was back then. And uh, so I bought a new lap streak. Well, it wasn't new, but it was a uh, Penyon lap streak, and I was naming it Making Waves, so M-A-K-I-N, Waves. So because I'm a great planner, uh, I would be airbrushing this, and I would get all the way to the point where I'd make the end, and I'd never get the end in it. So as M-A-K-I was painted all over my garage. <laughs> and uh, so Swamper started calling me Mackie, and that's just kind of how that blossomed into it. Because when we were looking for a name at the time, I just didn't want our name associated with the business. Because sometimes they tell you that's not a good thing. Like, people aren't going to find out. Like, nowadays, what does it matter? Because everybody knows everything about everything, right? Right. But... You know, back then, um, I thought the kids and I, and it, it actually like every decision in our business, you know, Pam and Luke and Marin and I were sitting down talking. We were actually at a cottage in Canada when we were talking about this. And it was either going to be Papo G. Joe um, Bates, which it came from a movie, but I think it was Masters of Disguise, which that one got crossed off the list quick because I don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> the and Santa Claus. About, then we thought about Swamper and we go, well, what about Mackie Plastic? And uh, it's got a Scandinavian look to it, the Mackie part of it. So that's what we settled on. I, I, I think you did great because it's a recognizable name. There's nothing that's close to it, you know, that you can, uh, you know, get it confused with. I, I think you did the right thing there. Yeah, and it's, it, Papa Gijo is a little bit hard to spell. I don't know if people are www.papogijo. That's how you said <laughs> it. It's a little bit funny to try to spell. So. It's funny, my daughter Marin was just talking about that story the other day. That's awesome. So let, let's talk about these aquatic insects. Like how, you know, 
I mean, it, it's it's one thing to say, you know, hey, I want to learn about aquatic insects, but, you know, to actually learn about them, you know, really see their shapes and, and their colors and, and understand, you know, where they are, you know, the seasons that they that they come out. H- how did you go about starting to learn that? Well, the first way is probably the easiest way, which is what I always tell people to do, which is look and see what the fish are eating at the time underneath you, right? So if you throw a fish in a bucket, 15 minutes later, he's in a little bit of water, you're going to see what he ate. They pretty much expel, most fish expel what they eat when they're under stress. Um, so a lot of them will spit it out. You can also grab a perch, you know, behind the gills and shake it. If you pinch them behind the gills and shake it, whatever they have is pretty much going to come out of your mouth. So the first thing that I tell people when you want to learn about what they're eating is take a look at what they're actually eating today, like right now underneath you. And so if you can find that clue, it, it takes you leaps forward from listening to an old guy talk about, you know, a doctoral thesis on how a stonefly nymph, um, you know, begins as a, an egg and, and goes through its life cycle. But the truth is, when you sit in my chair, um, you do have to take a look at all of those things. And, and still there's things today. I mean, I've been doing this, I've been at this for 20 years, better maybe, I don't know, a long time. And still today, there's things that I learned that, that I didn't know. I just I just cut because um, my buddy Timmy Moore asked me to. Um, I've had a, uh, a dragonfly nymph on my radar for a while to cut. And I've cut it actually three times. And this is the thing about our business that's, that's a little bit different, I think, than most. But, you know, um, the good companies um, have people involved in the process and the design and development process that are actually out fishing and that actually have knowledge of it and that actually you know, can do some of the work. Well, for me, I mean, I design all the molds, I cut the molds, I test the molds, I, I test the baits. I have a network of, of great friends that will tell me the brutal truth. I mean, it's like when you guys talk to each other off the air, you talk to each other in brutally true ways, right? right. I never wanted a pro staff, and I'm doing quotes in the air right now, but you guys didn't see it. I never wanted a pro staff that would just say, oh, my God, these are so good, blah, blah, blah. I wanted guys that would tell me the truth. These suck. I hate it. It doesn't move right. You know, it's it's too, it rips too easy. Whatever. I want to know the truth. I don't care what that truth is. It's just somebody's intent on that truth. So I took it upon myself early on after I figured that there was a, some connection between the aquatic insect life and how we could trigger fish into eating what we were mimicking up above or at the point of contact with them. And then in order to really understand those patterns and what we should try when, um, you know, because we'll go through four or five different patterns throughout the ice season and then the the open water season is the same way. Those aquatic insects are still in there. They're still a major food source. So that's where I really started getting into it and reading more and more and more. You know, I, I try to read, you know, thesis papers and then putting them in layman's terms so that you won't fall asleep and that, you know, it doesn't suck. Uh, just listening to someone talk about it. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard because, uh, like, Scotty Mack is, is actually a biologist, and he knows so much more than I do. And, you know, so when he's speaking, I listen. But when him and I are having conversations, they're kind of at a, a, a level that, that most people would probably fall asleep to because of the nausea and we're covering stuff at. But that really is how, for my company, for Mackie Plastic, for me personally, I believe if you make a fisherman and can help them understand the biology of a lake, the life cycles of the aquatic insects inside of the lake, 
and how the fish interact during those life cycles. You make them so much better of a fisherman than any piece of equipment, any piece of plastic, any rod, any reel, anything they could buy. There is nothing that will take the place of the ingenuity of, a, of, a, of an American mind that is put to learning some piece of information and wanting to know it to, you know, do whatever they can to be better at what their sport is. And I don't care if that's hunting or fishing or, or badminton or whatever it is. That, that, that's very interesting. Um, here's one for you, Scott. So obviously a lot of these insects that are, that are under the water are, are small, you know, possibly sometimes, you know, pertinent or mit- microscopic. Do you think yeah. that the size and the color has a lot to do with it? Or, I mean, you know, can you take something that's normally a brown or a gray or a black, you know, actually under the water and, and make it pink and, and the fish are just fine with that? You know, I mean, can, yeah. you, can you times it, you know, 20 times bigger and, and they're just fine with that because it's still got the shape? Uh, how I mean, how did you figure out what the fish would, you know, still go for, what could still trick them? Well, I think the best way to do it is just to continue to try different things. Like I, I've, I've said that I've most likely cut up and thrown away more molds than most companies will ever, you know, endure putting time and money into. But the Craigie XL is a perfect example of that. So the Craigie XL has kind of taken on a, a um, kind of a life of its own out there and uh, throughout any of the trout waters. Well, that mysa shrimp that Craig actually came up and drew me and then we did the research together where we're sitting together one day or one morning i think over coffee is not microscopic well it starts as microscopic like almost all of them do but i mean it's like an inch and a half at the top end of its life cycle oh it is is, yeah the craigie excel is significantly bigger than that well it stands to reason that if they'll eat a little one they'll eat a big one because they just think it's a mutant freak with a and an easier meal to catch right so Upsizing and downsizing, um, you know, kind of for me happens with with the the fish and how they are interacting with you at the point of contact. So if you're getting short bit, like I, you know, I've I've listened to the podcast for you know the last uh, well, I've listened to the podcast and you know when you guys talk about a tough bite, you know, or you talk about a clear water lake, or you talk about you know, you know when you look at how clear boji is and how you have to you know, be a little bit creative of, of sometimes um, with the fish that are coming out of clear lakes or, you know, they can see so well that, that microscopic stuff, um, you know, the, you could downsize there significantly and sometimes have to, if they're, if they're hitting the front end of your, um, of your jig, um, which I heard you guys, and I can't remember who you were talking to about that, but they were coming and they were biting the front end of your jig, then you need a piece of plastic that's going to kick the tail and be small enough to kick the tail around at the point of contact. So if you're camera right. fishing with them, you can kick it, and, and basically, you, you, and you should watch. Every piece of plastic and jig combination is really about balance. And a rod tip, too, has a tremendous amount to do with this. But as your line that connects your jig to your rod tip and how that acts when you do whatever it is, and, you know, I think Scotty talked about, something a pinhead minnow where he was rolling a bait or he was jigging it or he was pulsing under whatever if you need to kick that bait around then you put that piece of plastic on so it kicks so it hangs to the left and hydrodynamics being what they are when you twitch it if it kicks 90 degrees and they're hitting that front head that's what you need to be doing just before when that bluegill when you see his gills move you got to roll that bait like that 
And that's why guys that are better than me will always outfish me because they know all those tricks. When you sit and you just watch an old guy on a bucket that's got, you know, what what we most ice fishermen would consider to be, you know, equipment that's nowhere near what we have, but he's got a bucket fuller than all of us do. He knows something different than what we do. And that guy who knows stuff has typically studied it for years and years and years. Now, take him two lakes away, and he may not be any good, but on his lake, there's no way you're going to beat him. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and no so doubt. Upsizing, downsizing, um, it really comes down to what are the fish going to, how are the fish responding to what you're doing, and how can you best balance? The, the, and I, the, the three pieces to it are critical. Whatever you have on his bait, the jig head itself, and the line and rod combination and how you're moving it. And from there, you just have to, you know, kind of custom tune it to whatever the fish are doing on that day. Yeah. Do you, that make sense? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Do you have certain uh, certain jigs that you like with certain plastics? Like, you know, uh, you know when, when you are, are targeting this species and you're using the Jamie, you like to throw it on, on this jig because you like the action better. I mean, do you have combinations like that, that that you really think pair well together? I think in the wintertime, and I'll cover both ends, in the wintertime it's really more, uh, you have more freedom to do that. In the summertime you're kind of at the mercy of the wind. So you gotta you got to get a jig head that's going to get you into contact with the fish and keep you in contact for a period of time. And it's so much harder in the summertime. In the wintertime, it's so much easier to be a smart fisherman because you're sitting right over top of them. Nothing moves. So that piece of the equation is out of it. So it's just stay in hand combat with them. At that point, then you can really, really start to upsize, downsize, do whatever. In many cases, I'm a drop shot guy. And the reason for it is, and, and people ignore this all it, it seems as though they ignore it. Maybe they don't. But as a drop shot guy, then I can prove 100% it's my bait that they're hitting. It's not the jig head that they're hitting. It may be, you know, the difference in the color from the jig head to the to the bait. So in many cases, for me, I fish a little bit differently because I'm trying to prove in my mind that I have this aquatic insect. And And if you look at just neutral buoyancy being what it is, there's no better way to be neutrally buoyant with a bait than to drop shot it. So I'll go down to a 12 or a 14 scud hook that I know it's not going to do much. And again, they can't head bump. And, and you guys, you know, when you talk about, um, I think it was finicky bluegills and they were bumping the head when you were looking at it. When you, um, they can't head bump a head that's not there. So if they're going to open up their mouth because they're, they're going to want to taste when, the, when big bluegill sunfish, which I think are some of the most challenging fish to catch. They're some of the smartest fish that swims trophy-sized bluegills are, I think. And when they come in to address the bait, they're going to flare their gills, and they're going to take in some water, and they're going to expel water both ways, and they're going to look at what the bait does when it when it uh, when they're blowing on it. And so, if I can, if I need to get down to them real quick, I'm a tungsten guy. I'm on a, in there, I'm hammering them all day long, and it's it's great. That's fine. But when tough times get tough, you need to think more like an insect look more like an insect and then you need to be fishing some sort of bait or insect that tastes like an insect because then you really applied every piece of of knowledge that you can and at that point of contact with fish then then they really if they're not going to eat at that point it's just going to be one of those days and that does happen but yeah 
so you mentioned something there taste like an insect uh you know obviously we we don't want you giving up your secret sauce but uh you know what i mean to taste like an insect are, are you you personally tasting some of this stuff you know like yeah i mean you know i mean how, how does i mean as stupid as it sounds i mean how does that how do you yeah. do something like that? How do you how do you decide that you're going to match the taste of an insect? I, I used to have to taste them all until I hired guys to work for me, and now they chew Copenhagen all the time anyway. So I figure that anything that I give them is not going to do too much harm to them. Right? Yeah, if, if we if we had to have somebody, Matt would be the tester here. He'd be the taster. <laughs> I tasted. Yeah, well, I, I was gas station pizza, and he's yeah, going to yeah, be good with it. I was right. tasting some yesterday. Taste a little bit black licorice kind of. When I had yeah. it, yeah. So what we use, we use a uh, pulverized worm oil with anise as a top coat. So when you look at what you should be looking for in a bait, and I'm not going to try to sell Mackey plastic to you. I know you'll buy some eventually, but whatever. Not you guys, but the but the general public, because we do put the homework into making our baits right and making all of those things right. That's right. But in a big sense, when you look at what you should be looking for is, is there something that tastes right when the fish gets it in their mouth? Because fish don't have hands like we do to reach out and touch them, right? So they have one choice as to try to figure something out. Actually, two, visually, um, which I talked a little bit about. They'll come in, they'll address a bait, they'll blow at it, they'll go, Poof. then they back off and take a look at how it swings, and if it doesn't swing right, then they, you'll see them just slowly back away. But once they've kind of committed to taking it in their mouth, they'll either bring it in and spit it back out immediately if it doesn't taste right. Well, some of the taste sometimes is not so much even that it doesn't taste like a fish protein or a warm oil or something like that. Sometimes it's the stuff that we put on it. So it could be that gas station pizza that we had, or it could be some Copenhagen that you had on your hand. If that doesn't taste natural to them, it typically will be expelled fairly quickly. I don't think our hook percentage is bigger than anybody else's for any other reason than it tastes right it feels right because our gerometer reading, which is the how the hardness of plastic is is measured, um, is soft as soft as an aquatic insect. There's times when I will put um, a certain jig hook on. You asked about the jig combination that sticks inside a little bit. When they're eating exoskeletons, they don't want a super soft bait because the exoskeleton it doesn't feel right when it gets in their mouth. So it doesn't taste right. It doesn't feel right. And it looks right. So if you can get it looking right, and you can get it so that there's at least a neutral taste to it, which is what we use anise as a cover. Anise will cover almost anything. And that oil, the oil part of it, they don't seem to dislike in any way. So, you know, for us, that's what it looks like. It's a fish protein. It's a, it's an anise top coat and pulverized one. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think any company that's that's not doing those things, you need to, you know, just think about it. It's one thing to make a great looking bait. It's something completely different to make the whole picture for you. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be all, all the way around. No. Yeah, I mean, a rounded company is going to think, uh, a, a company run by fishermen is going to think like that. Yep. Do you have any baits that that actually aren't a real insect under the water that, that, uh, you know, stuff that you just kind of made up in your mind? Or, or is every single one of your baits uh, a real underwater insect? That's a great question. Um, I do have, um, 
I do have one, uh, and it's a spiny, it's called, and um, it actually just fell out of my injector. So all of our stuff is, is handmade. And I was pumping baits one night, and it fell in this shape onto my bench, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's pretty freaking sick looking. So I luckily, instead of just cleaning it up at the end of the day, snapped a picture of it, and I went and I made the mold. Um, that does not uh, look like anything that's in the water table that I've ever seen before, but it's a very, very good fish-catching machine. Um, but that one uh, specifically does not. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's not really imitating some sort of a life cycle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some real quick numbers because you guys are, are obviously nerds like us and like me. And I'm just going to tell you these, and Scotty will be able to straighten me out if I'm wrong on this, Scotty Matt. Um, there's roughly 100,000 different aquatic insects in our water tables and now that, that will live in our water tables at some point during our life cycle. I think there's 15 families that they live in, right? So there's 15 families, 100,000 different aquatic insects inside those families. So you can see the numerous body changes and different changes that they go through. So where company A will have a stonefly, you know, we make four stoneflies because they live in four different life cycles in the water table. Up to they, Some people who write, and these guys are much smarter than me, these are doctors of, you know, the, of, of bugs and studying bugs and aquatic insects. They say in the wintertime up to 70% of, the, of a fish's food source is aquatic insects. So if you can figure out which aquatic insect they're feeding on at that time, you, you've basically uh, created for yourself um, a piece of the puzzle that, that there's a reason why one guy's catching fish and no one else is catching fish. You guys are sitting on the dam uh, hooked on hard water, and you're 15 feet away from each other, and one person is catching more fish than everybody else did. Chances are they were probably imitating something better that was in that 50-foot approach that the other person wasn't doing next to them. If you go to the other end of that lake, on the opposite end of the dam, which is where I fished last year, um, we were fishing in 20 foot of water, and the perch was hugged right to the bottom, and at times there were 15 foot and 20 foot of water, is 15 foot of perch in there. You know, there's times when it doesn't matter at all, but there's times when all this stuff matters. And so we make baits for when times are tough, and obviously anybody's will catch bait when it's not. Right. Now, now, you mentioned there, you know, that, that for, say, the stonefly, you know, that it, it you make four different kinds of that. Do you think that, uh, for, say, if you're using the late-season stonefly during the early season, do you think that makes that big of a difference? Uh, you know, I mean, do you feel like the fish know, like, oh, that, that one's, uh, you know, uh, out of rotation. You know, he he's, you know, that one's way more mature than what he should be yet. I mean, are we giving right. them too much credit? Are we giving the fish too much credit, or do you think sometimes on tough bites that... <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll tell you a real quick story about Benzy, uh, which is perhaps my my one of my most proud moments and one of the most realistic moments ever in, uh, in my ice fishing world. And uh, so we're sitting um, in a seminar, and I, I always would sit in on Dave's seminars just because there's usually one or two things I can pick up that he will tip his hat with, which sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. So somebody in the crowd asked him a question about aquatic insects, and he goes, I could give you an answer on this. He goes, but I truly, uh, one of my friends is here who, who should write books about this stuff, and I'm going to have him answer that question for you. It was like the clouds open, <laughs> the sun was shining. You know, it was, it was one of those moments in life where you're 
you, you try not to jump from the seat with your hands in the air going, I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said to myself privately, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, Dave Guns just called my name. So I stood up and I gave this, this whole thesis on how aquatic insects live through the life cycle, and this is how the bluegills address that. Dave wrote you know, one of the best books on, on bluegills that's ever been written with Mark Strand. And, uh, you know, I read it cover to cover. It's one of my, sitting on my desk. And he pointed me out to answer this question, right? So I get all done with this doctoral level thesis on all of this. And, you know, most people's eyes are probably rolled back in their head at that point. And Dave goes, yeah, but they're just bluegills. So throw a maggot on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that's my answer to your question am I overthinking this stuff I am a classic overthinker of these things but there's days when the stuff that I you know that I, I would not cut a mold and I would not have a bait for sale if it did not catch fish we worked on a catch to contact ratio of 70% or better that means 70% of the fish that we think really address the bait will actually go if you look at those numbers with anybody else it's just people don't put that kind of thought and effort into the stuff that, that we do. So we study this stuff and, you know, we work real hard at getting them right before they come out. If I did not think that the third stage and, uh, you know, whatever, mayfly would catch fish, I wouldn't cut them old and I wouldn't put them out for fishermen to buy because I'm not that guy. We all got more than enough stuff in our boxes. That, that's I, very cool. I think ad nauseum sometimes. Not, not when you're easy. You know, you guys... You guys kind of picked on the Black Hills and said, you know, it's an easy place to go catch fish. But I mean in places where it's tougher to catch fish. The more you can mimic what they're actually feeding on at that time, the better your contacts are. The better your, your catch percentage is going to go up. And, you know, if you double, if you catch two fish instead of one out of a school before it moves on, you've doubled your day that day. That's a big deal. Right. Even if it's only two fish that day, right? You right. doubled it. That, that is cool because, you know, especially with me and Matt being bass fishermen, uh, I think a lot of these baits that come out uh, maybe are more designed to catch fishermen and not catch fish. And, and that's really cool to hear it from a guy who, you know, actually makes money selling these baits that, that you're, you're selling baits to catch fish. You're not trying to, to catch fishermen. And, and you know, th that means something. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, I think many times, when you look at all of the variety, you asked about colors. Um, when you look at the exoskeleton, on, here's, here's my answer on colors, because I didn't get back to it. But eventually, my old brain kind of comes back to stuff sometimes. If it doesn't, <laughs> don't be afraid to ask me again. <laughs> but you asked about colors, and here's the thing. Most aquatic insects, are exoskeleton is clear. So they have some colors in them, but their exoskeleton is clear. So whatever they're eating is really the color that they change, right? So if they're on a red bloodworm bite, then they're going to become red. If they're on a motor oil bloodworm bite, then they're going to become motor oil. So when you look at all of the, almost all of the bugs, when you look at how we mimic and why we why we have, you know, 13 color variations and inside those 13 color variations there might be another, you know, 20 or 30 that we could make. Um, colors sometimes matter. I think it matters less than, um, less to the fish than it does to the fishermen. But on certain lakes, um, some colors do matter. But I can tell you this, too. Um, I think it matters to fishermen way more than fish. And I know this because sitting in my chair, I'll get a call from Okaboji, and Johnny says the only color that will catch fish in big bluegills in January is motor oil with red plate. 
And so I make a motor oil with red flake. And the same lake, the guy across the lake will say, red with black flakes is the only color of bait that will catch fish on this lake in January. Big bluegills. <laughs> so <laughs> it really is more of a fisherman thing than it is a fish thing, but there's times when it does matter. So like I said, if you can look at what's inside of those, if you're going to keep fish that day anyways, cut the first fish and see what's in it. If it looks motor oil, then you should be putting something motor oil on. If it's red, you should be fishing something red. It's uh, the, the clues from a fish are so much more important than the clues from an old guy sitting in a desk in Gasport, New York, talking about fishing with some <laughs> other guys. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's going to be massacring fish, trying to figure out what the heck they're eating. Everyone. In, inside of that shack is just going to be blood and guts. and. <laughs> freaking... well, it's, it's tough with bass fishermen tournaments, too, because getting their sides back on them with glue, I don't know if they make that glue good enough. Tape. Staples. We found staples food. work. Yeah, staples. <laughs> <laughs> I think the staples are our, will probably outweigh the fish sometimes. Adds a little extra poundage. That's funny. <laughs> Put them back together. Yeah. Okay, Scott. So, so let's kind of talk about the design process here. Say, say me and Matt. Uh, you know, we'll we'll say it. We we cut open a fish over on uh, you know such and such a lake close by us, and and we notice you know this this. Uh, you know, I don't know, we'll call it, call it a shrimp or call it a, you know, yep. who knows what, yep. whatever. Yep. And, uh, so we call out to you and we say, you know, Hey, we found out that all these fish are really gorging on these, you know, uh, how, how do you start that design process? How do you start making your mold? Yep. You know, what, what are you doing? So for me, um, it, and a lot of them do, they just start with a picture in the palm of somebody's hand about, dude, what is this? And then I got to do a reverse Google lookup on it. Cause I don't know everything a lot of times I use Scotty Mack because he's so freaking smart. He's way smarter than me. Well, don't tell him that just, to his face. But I just happen to be, you know, a better mold maker and fisherman than he is. But, right, uh, right. You can, check the, you can check the leaderboard on that one, but I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> Here's the process and how it works with me. So I get something, and typically it's something I've already honestly been looking at making anyways because it's usually something that I've not had. So for me, because our, our we have... 46 different aquatic insects it's tough to find stuff i don't already make that's in that life cycle somewhere but the way it happens is i first will start studying the bug so i'll go back and i'll start looking at the bug and then i start to look at the spread of the bug so i start to look at where is it is it from washington all the way through to maine is it you know just local to a, a certain portion of the you know of the ice season and I'll say, is this something that's different enough? Can I do something different enough with this bug that it makes sense for me to make it? So here's a great example, and this just happened this year, and this bait isn't even out yet, but I'll send some to you guys, and you can fish with them. Oh, yeah. Um, you, just can't, you just can't share pictures of them. That's what I do. Like, my pro team is different than most people's pro team. You don't get a jacket. You don't get any of that stuff. You get to actually work for me for nothing. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Sounds like a good gig. Um, ask, <laughs> ask any of them. It's a great gig. Um, but the good part is you get a bait before everybody else does. So Timmy Moore says, hey, we make a dragonfly now. And I'm like, dude, I hate them in that life cycle. They're mean-spirited animals. They're hateful little mean bugs that eat everything. They want to kill everything that's around them. But I go, I'll do the research. I'll let you know. I've tried making it three times. I don't like it because Oneida Lake um, has a lot of them in it. And the, the fish late season as they're gorging just before they go into the shallows to lay their eggs are all full of these dragonfly nymphs. So I started doing the research on them, and I'm like, 
here's here's the part that that turned my mind. They're in the water table for, and I didn't know this, for up to four years. Some of the dragonflies are in the water for up to four years before they ever hatch and become really wow. So they're living so much of their life in there. They're from you know anywhere from you know an egg to a larva to this little crawly creepy thing that's you know three eighths of an inch and they get up to an inch and a half big. But they're a great food source all year long. And even as mean-spirited as they are, smallmouth bass, by the way, this will be an absolute smallmouth bass killer for you guys. Yep. Uh, because smallmouths love them all yep. summer long. Yep. And they're just this stupid little crawly thing that kind of got winged buds but not really winged yet. That's why they haven't left the bottom yet. Um, they eat all of the other aquatic insects that are down there. So the, the, the food chain portion of that is. They're getting eaten because they're an inch and a half. You asked about size. They're getting eaten because they're an inch and a half, but they're there eating the microscopic. You know, when you look at, you know, the really, really small bugs, they're in there eating them because they're easy for them to catch, and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of them down there. They're existing on them. And then not only when the fish come in to eat the aquatic insects that are there that's the attracting, but also them because they're a bigger meal for them. That's how the whole food chain, you know, kind of comes together down there. So it, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys. So the design process goes from an idea, which is sometimes a, you know, picture. Sometimes it's an actual bug. Sometimes it's whatever. To I start to do the research and find out that now I'm interested enough in this bug because he lives for five years to then a CAD drawing. So then, well, actually, I sometimes sketch it, sometimes CAD drawing. So then I'll start to look at what size these things actually are. So should I make one that's three-quarters? Should I make one that's inch and three-quarters? Sometimes I make both. And then I'll draw a CAD drawing of it. I'll get that right, and I start to look at the hydrodynamics of it. So when I jig the head, where's the body breaks that I'm going to put into it? So you know I need three beads as a body break so that it flows like it does. So that particular aquatic insect jumps from place to place. So it, it literally... Um, kind of a, wraps its body up and then just freaks out. Like it just spazzes out like Scotty Merwin when he sees a cheeseburger. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> and they move from one place to another like that. So they just, you know, collapse their body and expand their body, and that's how they move. They jump around. So I want this bait to be able to, you know, move quickly through the water. So I put a flatter tail on it. So that flatter tail makes it swim different or move around different. The other thing is, the, the tail on, on these dragonflies, when they do it, is almost always posed up at about a 30-degree, 30-40 degree angle because they can't keep it down. Like, it's got, it floats. The tail end floats on it. So I put more plastic in the back end of it so that it floats up like that. Like, our crayfish has one bubble that's only 80 thousandths big, so that one claw is always up in the air like it wants to fight because when a fish addresses a crayfish, it will always raise one claw mm -hmm. because it's trying to protect itself. That's its protective stance. So all of those things that you can find out by doing the research and then how you and where you put plastic, sometimes it doesn't look identical to the way the bug was because you have to make changes to it in order to get it to do what it would naturally do in the water table. And then you cut a prototype and you find out what you thought was going to happen. didn't really happen, but maybe it did. Then you go back to the drawing board and do another one and another one, and eventually it becomes, you know, from prototype to a, to a finished bait, and, and then you fish it for a while and see if it does what you want it to do, and you put it on the market. 
Hmm. Does that make sense? Did I cover all that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How how many times do you think? Uh, how how many time how many times do you change before you feel comfortable? On average, I mean, you know, you you, you as yeah. I'm cutting it. You mean? Yeah. Um, I've gotten a lot better at it than I was when I first started. I mean, obviously, we went from a whip to some very complicated bugs, and you know, it, twenty years is a long time, but it's a fairly short period of time. So I've gotten a lot better at it. I can get a bait right usually in three to five cuts at this point. Um, sometimes I get it the first time, but uh, this, that that particular bug that I'm talking about, it, to me, um, wants because they're they're lake trout out there eat these things all year long. Um, I cut that. I think I'm in my fifth revision of that right now, but I think I have it right now. I think it's done. Like I've got enough of them in bags now where I'm willing to send them out and go do fish this for a while and see what you think. So I think after five on that one, I was done, but I'd spend as many as 20, as few as probably one, I would guess. Hmm. Uh, That's why I say, you know, the difference between our company and I'm not bragging, you know, the last thing I want to come off as is that guy because I hate that, but. You know, the difference between our company and most other companies, and, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, is the guy who's making the decisions as to where to spend the money, the guy who's making the decisions as to do it, is a fisherman, and he lives in Greece and, and loves this stuff. That's me. That's right. Yeah. But really, I mean, when you look at our company as a whole, it, it's so funny because when I say Davy and Goliath, I really mean that. Like, our, our boardroom is our kitchen table. <laughs> I'm still making the stuff at our house. Like, you know, I mean, my prototype shop is, is literally a room in my basement that I'm sitting in right now talking to you guys. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a blessed life. And, and the four of us, my my son, like Luke and I, when we would go out to the Midwest to fish tournaments, we'd go out to Wisconsin. We'd drive out there. He'd be packing bait in the back seat of the truck, listening to music to make enough money so that he had whatever money he wanted to spend on fishing stuff when he was there at the tournament. And him and I would fish the tournament together. We'd turn around and drive back home, and he'd be packing bait for the next trip or for something else. Hmm. Um, you know, so it, it just kind of became this family lifestyle that, you know, Pam does all of their finish uh, packaging, and she makes sure that everything is, you know, she does a final inspection for me because she's way better at it than I am. My daughter does all the labeling. You know, it's still very much a family business. We're uh, we're we're blessed to have a partnership with uh, with Clam and and also still um, them having the foresight because it's not very common to allow us to still be a completely separate entity too and you know make all the decisions and do the rest of it. John Crane has been uh, a great uh, friend of mine who who literally. Uh, knows just about everybody in the fishing industry and he uh he's the bait designer for clam and you know he and i talk very 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 often about you know anything from business to whatever suggestions i need he does a great job helping me understand the clam perspective so, very cool so now do yeah. you do you have one that is like your favorite that you always have hooked on no matter what when you're going i know you always you said that you like to see what the fish are eating at the time you go there but yeah. is there one yeah. that you always have rigged up that is kind of your favorite our our mackie and white um the original mackie and white <clears throat> which is what kevin and richie won that won that with but just probably just because i have the most confidence in that but uh that that bait and white has fed our family more fish than and we eat a lot of fish and Definitely more perch than any other bait that we make. Um, crappies is, is going to be a Jamie XL. Um, 
bluegills is probably um, bluegills is probably going to be for me um, poi or uh, um, one of the smaller jamies um, is, a, is a very those are very good baits i also make a worm that's that's um, for big white crappies is a tremendous uh, wormy is a very very good bait that it's uh it, it looks like any other worm bait, but when you put it in the water, it completely comes alive because of the way I cut it. I cut it like a torpedo, not like a normal worm, like it would show. So the tail is flat, but it, when you look at it side by side, you would you would think it's round. Um, mm-hmm. But that tail does some magical crap, and that just happened by accident. I mean, I it didn't, it didn't. I mean, I cut it that way, but um, it does some magical stuff that, that no other bait that we have does. So, you know, those baits are my favorites probably, but I fish them all. Um, at different times of the year based on, you know, what are the, what's the food cycle at the time. Right. And I fish them everywhere from ocean fishing to whatever. And I do make some bigger stuff too for you bass guys, but I don't sell them only because we're so busy now. I just can't keep up. Um, so I never put any of my bigger stuff out on the market, but I have some really good bass stuff too. Again, I live on Lake Erie almost, so. Right. Yeah. Which isn't really a fair judge because there's like 50 smallmouths out there for every. (laughs) fisherman every fisherman that's out there in the boat that's good do do you ever have it where you're out on the ice and somebody's out fishing and they come up to you and they tell you all about this plastic that they're catching them on and how great it is and you ever had that you know there's been some really humbling surreal moments in my life one of which happened at the um at the show in st paul pam and i were heading upstairs and i didn't have my jersey on it no i did have my jersey on at the time she never was on at the time and uh, I didn't hear it because I'm deaf. I don't hear anything hardly. But um, the guy said, hey, that's a guy from Mackie Plastic. Like he was whispering it to his buddy like it was a big deal, right? Um, but, you know, in the Midwest, there'd be no reason for anybody really to recognize me. Um, I've had several people walk up to me on the ice. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 interesting and uh, it's... It, keeps me 1000% grounded uh, the success that uh, the limited success but success that we've had in uh, changing kind of you know the thing I guess I'm most proud of is not necessarily Mackie plastic but it's thinking um, it's how to change the thinking of fishermen to be more open and willing to experiment with some different things whether it's our bait or somebody else's bait not just putting on the same old same old and, and doing that and I think that that's kind of been my gig more than anything else is helping people and other companies too just kind of spread their wings and say, yeah, there's something here. Oh, definitely. Right. Now, now Scott, with you being an ice teamer, uh, you know, you're, you obviously are on the same team as, you know, the, the biggest heavy hitters of the industry, you know, I mean, the Dave Gens, the Jason Mitchells, uh, you know, what, who, who, or, or can you name a specific time or can you, uh, name a deal like you know where it just got really surreal. You know, seeing one of those guys uh, using your products, talking about your products. You know, do you have one of those moments that it was just like, wow, this is this is really it? Yeah, um, you know, I grew up idolizing all those guys, both those two guys actually, and I, you know, I still do, I still do, and they're friends of mine. Yep. Um, but to me. Uh, I guess one of the most uh, surreal moments for me was actually not during ice time. It was during open water season. I was at Genji's and we went out fishing for bass. And, uh, and I was sitting back in the boat and we were looking over the Mississippi River and we were flying through rocks and that whole thing was just a freak show. 
I, like, I can't even imagine in my lifetime how that even occurs. Because as a deep water guy, like, if I get under three feet, I panic. Like, I start to hyperventilate. Right. We're driving over rocks the size of my house going 60, pushing water just to get over them. It's crazy. But that wasn't the surreal part. I sat back, and my wife was sitting next to Dave Gens on the seat, because he and Kath and me and uh, Pam went out one day. And uh, I said, you know, I just stood, I took the whole thing in as a big um, kind of acceptance into the brotherhood that, that I could be blessed to be sitting in that chair at that time and kind of see all of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I yeah, mean, there's, sure. there's a lot of people, you know, that, that would kill to be out on the boat with Dave Gens, no doubt about that. Yep, yep. I've heard a yeah, lot of because everybody knows Genzie. Everybody knows Genzie as the ice fisherman. He's a tremendous bass fisherman. Well, and just just to experience that riverboat ride that everybody talks about it with him. I mean, <laughs> right? I was I was supposed to be up there uh, in August this year. Me and Euler were supposed to go up there, and then my wife yep. decided she thought she ought to go into labor ten weeks early. <laughs> so that, that, that I know I actually thought about coming out with you guys on all cooked. Yeah, COVID. yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah, I was going to be there too, but then the whole COVID thing, I couldn't do it. So. Mm. Yeah, well, that would have been my surreal moment right then and there. When Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, he's doing great. All the rest so. of this is just stuff we do, uh, yep. stuff I was talking about with my kids, with your kids. And yep. That's who we are. No doubt about it. Now, I got a, I got a question for you here, Scott, and this, uh, this yep. one's for our buddy Stuart, who actually messaged uh, me and Matt asked us this question and we said well we're actually going to have scott brower on the uh on the podcast so we'll ask him right over the air um he he said he went out with uh uh one of your plastics and uh just the way that he stored them maybe out in his hot garage over the summer uh you know that it, it kind of lost maybe the motion that it was supposed to it, it got a wrinkle in it whatever is there something that you can do to fix that or i mean do you have a a proper storage for say for for these plastics when i look at the life shelf because i have a lot of old plastics here like sitting around stuff i made originally and whatever it does have a tendency it's oil-based right so it does shrink yep it's you know i mean in almost all cases uh, there's there's really elastosol and plastosol those are the two different rubbers that people do the elastosol is the one that'll eat its way through your dashboard and, and the floor of your boat Plastisol is the one that really doesn't hurt anything. So back when Mr. Twisters were made and they would eat your old tackle box, they were made with a different thing. So any oil-based product should be kept in some sort of oil. That's why what we do um, with ours is, again, a pulverized mineral-based oil. And so keeping them in the original package, keeping them out of sunlight will help to restore them. <clears throat> you could try, and this would be a dangerous thing because I've never tried it. I, before I, I should probably try it before I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, say care. it. And if, if you screws them up, whoever it is, would you say his name was Stuart? Stuart, yep. yep. All right, Stuart, if you're listening. So if this jacks up your baits, um, send me an email, scott at macuplastic.com. I'll give you three new bags of bait. Now he's going to say it screwed them up anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, he will. Well, he email will. You. He's an engineer. He's an so engineer, so he's careful. He's tell you how so, to do it. <laughs> throw them in the microwave for... Um, maybe 20 seconds and see if that changes. Um, and, and I'm not being, I'm not joking. Um, right. and then throw them in mineral oil, only mineral oil though. Like, um, people, when I say I use anise oil, it's oil. It's not anise extract. That's alcohol based changes everything. So mineral oil has very little taste to it. You can use that if you can get it, or if you can get pure anise oil, which you can, I mean, it's an extract, so you can get it 
pure in a soil, it's also a good thing to keep them. But I almost always suggest to people, put them back in. And here's the other thing, and this is a great suggestion for anybody with plastics, because plastics, our stuff is soft. So some people's argument with it is it rips off too easy. You know, I hear that all the time. In many cases, that's because of the failure to re-rig. So you should re-rig after a fish, not necessarily after every fish, but almost every fish, because, one, you reset the body to look more like it was supposed to. But a lot of people try to rush right back down to the fish rather than just to pull it real quick. The other thing to do is every three or four fish, pull the bait off, throw it back in the bag, get another one out, and put it back on. Because, again, when you're trying to um, attract a fish in, you're doing that by visually, you're, you know, you're jigging, they see it, they come and take a look. At the point in which they start to taste the scent ball around it, at some point, the oil that's on the outside is going to lose its effectiveness. And so what you need to do is throwing it back in the bag recharges it. It kind of puts that oil back on the outside so that scent ball comes back. So that second piece, that it tastes right, gets them to the third piece, which it feels right in their mouth because then they take it in their mouth and eat it. Right? So it's a good idea, not only like in the summertime, keep them out of the sunlight. You know, sunlight is kind of the enemy. Number two, keep them in a little bit of oil. And number three, um, re-rig recharge even when you're fishing them because it forces you to re-rig and, and it's, you're not getting ripped out of the same hole because the same if you leave a bait in the same hole all the time uh, eventually it will get ripped off by the fish so yep. does that make sense oh yeah yeah very cool very cool stuff now scott I, um you know we're we're closing in on an hour here talking to you and uh i mean i i feel like we could go for three hours i feel like we could possibly go for 10 hours um <laughs> We want to have you back on again, you know, maybe maybe not next week, but, you know, down the road here, we want to have you back on because I feel like there is a ton of knowledge that, w- that we can still peel off you. But uh, before we let you go here on, on this one, uh, if there's – well, how, 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 you know, aside from going to Clam, how can guys find out more about Mackie Plastics? Where can they buy Mackie Plastics? Um, we're in, we're in several stores, but, but I try to stay small with, uh, distribution in the stores only because of the fact that I want the, I want the mom and pop shops to still be able to make a living. So when I give a mom and pop shop on Okoboji, the lake, I really usually give them the lake. So there may only be one place. The, the answer all year long. So when stuff is out of stock in the big box stores, small stores, whatever, MackiePlastic.com, we're never out of stock. If I'm out of stock, I made, uh, this morning. I got up and a guy ordered, he wanted two minnows and custom colors. So I got up this morning and made two minnows and custom colors and sent them out today. So we always have bait here too. So you can always come to MackeyPlastic.com and and get whatever it is you think you need during those periods of time. And I really appreciate you guys talking to me. I appreciate the feedback and wanting to have me back in. Obviously, I'm the 105th most uh, interesting person that you've ever had the opportunity to introduce. So, you know. Yeah. Well, oh, you know, you nice. were 106, but you, but you, the 105 you, canceled on us. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to me eventually. That's the thing. You got to Craig Euler 72 times before you got to me, but whatever. I'm not jealous. I'm not, you know, I'm not bitter about any of that. Well, we, we've tried not to, but he just always calls, so yeah. it we makes, can't get rid of him. It makes people feel good about themselves when they listen to Craig. It's like, oh, we can you know, catch fish, too. Yeah, this guy can catch him. We yeah, can catch him. They think they've got it together then. <laughs> All right, so we're closing in on the hour, so i got two questions for you guys. These are random questions because now I'm taking over the show. Favorite right. 80s rap band, go. Favorite 80s rap band, go. Favorite 80s rap band. Well, I run DMC. Yeah. 
What else? You got oh, nothing. Beastie Boys. Oh, oh my man. All right. Oh, yeah. I love it. All right, you ready? So question number two. Favorite one hit wonder. Favorite one hit wonder. Who's who's the guy that's the skinny guy with the really deep voice? Oh, Rick Atsley. Rick Never Atsley. Like, yeah, he, had hits, so he doesn't count. He had two because my wife loved him. God, well, he had two. And, and she thinks she still sing that song to me today. If she was here, she'd sing it right now. Oh, favorite one hit wonder. Um, Did the B fifty twos have more than Love Shack? Yeah, they had more than Love Shack. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, come on. Um, oh, favorite one hit wonder. The outfield, did they have more than uh Juicy's on a vacation? <laughs> did they have more than that? I think there had to How be about, a... Whoa, Black Betty, Bam Blam. Oh, whoa, yeah. Black Betty, that's one of my favorites. That. That's, that's a, a, that's a great tune. That is a good one. All right, one. we're past that one. All right, ready? We're going to come up with a new segment for the show. It's ready, where the guest gets to pick who the next guest you guys ask to be on the show. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a new segment on the show at the end. I'm, I'm right. for this. I'm, I'm for we're this. We're always up for the curveballs. All right, so you ready? Here's who I think you should ask next. Okay. Todd, Todd. Todd, Todd. Oh, yeah. You want to oh, know what's too. really you know what's really crazy? Last what? night I was on the phone with Craig Euler, and uh, I told Euler that me and Matt were over at Okaboji, and he said, well, geez, Todd, Todd's over there right now. You should have told yeah. me, and, and I could have put you in connection with him. And I said, Dude, well, what the heck? He's one of the sharpest minds in, in all of ice fishing. He's the T2, right? Yeah, right. The and he just he's just a fun guy to talk to. So my new segment on the show, which is the guest gets to pick the new guest, my guest would be Todd Todd, if that counts for anything. I, I promise you, Scott Brower, our next guest, we will make an effort to have Todd Todd be our next guest. That's right. Love it. Yeah. I love it. I guess he's got an you Illinois know, accent so, that's really awesome. This whole thing is all about the brother and sisterhood. It really is. And uh, you guys, you know, I, I listened to actually the uh, – the one on uh, Hooked on Herdwater, and the unique part about that event for me is that everybody from every company comes together for one moment to That's fish right. together. And none of it, we all, you know, and, and it's just a, like you said, it's a surreal moment where you just look around, you're privileged to be part of this, and, and everybody's focused on the right thing, and that is catching fish with kids that may not have the opportunity to do that. Um, and all of the rest of the stuff just goes away. It's such a great brother and sisterhood that uh, all of ice fishing is really, I mean, when you look at it, we're putting, you know, we're, we're able and willing to put our lives in, on the line to help a brother or sister out of the water if anything ever bad happens. And unfortunately it does from time to time, but that really is how close knit the ice fishing world is and yeah. how much I appreciate what we are as brothers and sisters out there on the ice. No doubt. Yeah, it, I mean, we were out, like Scott said, we were out yesterday and I mean, you look across the bay where we're fishing and it's, all kinds of different colors out there and going around and yep. talking to people. And I mean, it's yep. what it's all about. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. And where it isn't, that's only because there's a few people who just, um, they would want to stir things up, whether they were, you know, drinking two different types of lemonade. That's exactly right. They'd now they'll be stirring it up. Now you're not, are you, are you not coming to hooked on hard water this year? I cannot. Um, as a school teacher, like I had, the whole reason it worked for me the last few years was because, and I've been out there I think four or five now, was because our February break is during that period of time. Mm-hmm. So we have in New York State a February break where we have a week off, um, but it's actually the week before. So when they moved it, when they had to move the date, and I'm not sure how that got moved, but when they had to move the date back a week, I cannot come. Unfortunately, I won't be there. Okay. So and and I don't think Merwin's going to be there this year. So. 
can I have your blessing at, at just uh, being being the best fishing Scott out there? Because I mean, it's it's Scott Olson and yeah. Scott Mockintune, and and Scott Mockintune yeah. is, I mean, he, you know, yeah, he, he might know tall. a lot about fish, but he, he can't catch no, them. The good part about him is if you have to have something reached off the top shelf, he's your man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what other game he's got. He's got a cowboy hat, and he can reach stuff that's on the top shelf. I, other than that, I got nothing. It is it is nice having him right. Like you said earlier. It, Riding out there with him last year, wanted to take a nap. I definitely could when he started talking. He got into got into talking all that. Thankfully, he didn't put Scott to sleep. This Scott over here to sleep. So he was driving. Man, if we ever get to a point where we have like seventy inches of ice, he'll be the top auger guy. So he'll have to take like <laughs> thirty cranks, and then the rest of the shirt guys can finish it at the end. He, he needs he needs an extension on his auger when there's only four inches of ice. <laughs> Otherwise, he's bending. He's down on his knees. Oh, if I ever fell over and I was that tall, I'd never get back up again. I have no idea how tall guys do it. A short little fat guy like me, I can just roll over and I'm back on my feet. Well, see, that, that, there's a problem there. You Sometimes you can go on your back and it's tough getting back over it up. That actually happened. I had a, uh, and it's funny, it was on Deerfield too. I had, and I was all alone. BCAF came cruising up going, dude, you're all right. You look like a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he'll remember this. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm fine. But I was totally on my back like a turtle in deep snow. It was, I don't know, two or three years ago, and there's deep snow out there. And I'm like, I think I might die right here. But this was a really nice rainbow, and I didn't want to put it back in until I got a picture of it. And I'm rolling around like a fat kid on a porch. It was funny. Oh, man, this is too good. <laughs> I, I don't think this interview wants to go away. So. BK came cruising up on a swirl. I go, dude, you all right? I don't even know where he was watching me from. He's like this little ninja from behind a rock. He kind of is that way. <laughs> He's the Black Hills ninja out there. With That's the what he That's is. It. He is a ninja out there for sure. Oh man. All right, Scott. Man, we really, we really appreciate this one. This one was a heck of a lot of fun. And like I said, if if, if there's any chance that we can uh, do a part two to this one here, you know, in a few weeks, a few months, you know, before the end of ice season, we'd sure love to have that opportunity. Oh, uh, no worries. But I've got, I've always got time. A lot of times I'm driving places for hours on end. Like we, I have to drive a lot more for ice than than I'd like to admit I have to now. So. Uh... A lot of times I'm on the road. I got plenty of uh, hair time, so um, whenever you guys decide, you let me know. Awesome, you definitely will. All right, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, happy New Year, All right, guys. Take it easy. You bet. See ya. We'll see ya. Thank you. There he goes, Mister Mackey Plastic, Scott Brower, and uh, holy moly! Like, you know, everyone's got a specialty, like underwater insects. Like, you right. know, I mean, yeah. that's. I mean, that that's really something, but... Uh, you know, and his thinking like that, I just don't think a lot of the guys, a lot of fishermen think like that sometimes about, like, you got to, you know, see what they're eating this time of year and what stage of, you know, where that larva is or whatever at that stage and stuff like that, that insect that that, it's just kind of, it makes you think a little bit more. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I mean, I, I hope that the listeners really take that and they think about it and uh, realize how smart, you know, a guy like that is and the knowledge that we did just peel off of him and, uh, you know, realize that, uh, you know, if, if you have really good luck early in the year and you don't really have great luck late in the year, you know, that maybe there's something there, you know, that those insects have kind of changed. What you were doing earlier in the year really aligns to, you know, early ice and, and it doesn't much align to late ice. And, you know, I, I mean, 
I had no clue that underwater insects really had a lifespan, you know, where they change, you know, their right. look numerous times. And, you know, what did he say? A hundred and some thousand different yeah. uh, underwater insects and 20 different families. And I don't know, throwing out big numbers and, and uh, you know, I'm sure Mockintoon can... You know what? That's my favorite part about this whole entire episode that we took that many shots at Mockington. For sure, it was so so good. It was so good. I'm gonna text him right now and say, "Oh, wait till tomorrow, pal." Oh, Scott, shots. Oh, too tall. Too tall. <laughs> no, but uh, God dang it, that was just that was a lot of fun. You know, talking to Euler, he had said like, "This guy can talk." There's a lot of knowledge there. You know, whatever. And and uh, I'm I'm really glad that we locked that one in and. And that's uh, a busy guy right there. Right. And hopefully everybody, like you said, learns something. And that's what right. all of us as fishermen need to do that is learn to make us more successful out on the water. And like yep. him being willing to share a lot of that stuff helps a lot of people out. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because, I mean, this is this is a guy that, you know, he he's talking to people all the way across the ice belt. You know, I mean, from from Pertnir all the way, you know, over on the West Coast. He's living over on the East Coast. He's got a ton of friends. And his friends are the best fishermen here in the upper Midwest. Yeah. So, I mean, when they're telling him, hey, Scott, this is this is what I think you need to do, I, I mean, you know, he, he's getting the best feedback he can. And plus his name is Scott, and everyone knows that Scots are the best fishermen. Uh, name Scott Martin, <laughs> one of the best bass fishermen. Qualifies for the elites first time through. I know. I, I didn't say I was are you arguing look, with you. Yeah, BS, that looking – you look Scott Merwin in the in the eyes and tell him Scott suck at fishing. He would throat chop you so fast. I was amazed he said that Euler would beat Merwin. Right. There's only um, one way to find out. And Brower Euler, can be Euler's the referee. Probably, yeah, there we go. Yeah, you know how big Euler's head's going to be? He's going to be walking around sounds, out there. That sounds like a picture in the making, if you ask me. Oh, I see, <laughs> I see what's about to go down. I like it. I like it a lot. No, uh, God dang it. Like I said, that was fun. Um, yeah, is what it is. For all you live bait fishermen out there that have been reluctant about, you know, making the move to plastic <coughs> after listening to that, <coughs> well, after listening to that interview, right. I mean, that's the reason why, like yep. it's, it's, it's so incredibly awesome to know that every one of his plastics is something that is in the water. Right. Right. That was, that was that way fish cool. feed on. Right. Like the shape, the pattern, like. I've looked at them and thought, "What is like? What is this? Like, what is right. this even supposed to imitate?" Well, it it, it it's imitates imitating something. something, right? So, and I think a lot of times people, like you said earlier, just make something that they think that looks cool, like right. a fish would eat. I think a fish would eat. Yeah, that. A fish would love it's that. Like these, you know, a fish will eat it, right? Because it's in their diet. That's right. So, I like it. He needs to make a. Maybe he needs to make one for you, a slice of pizza shaped. Oh soft yeah, plastic. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, keep them coming. I mean, we're going to need to send a lot of packs over. <laughs> no. Before before we move on, before we move on, me and Matt went out fishing yesterday, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But before we move on, I got to tell you one more time, uh, the shirts are coming. Those of you that ordered shirts, they are coming. Um, I had a couple messages about it, but uh, they are um, – I think they're getting printed like probably possibly as you are listening to this and uh, they're getting printed uh, down by Des Moines. So uh, Andrew Boyd of Boyd creative, he's a, he's a ice fisherman down there. He's uh, making the shirts. And uh, so, yeah, I, I do think that we should have them here in the next, I don't know, seven to 10 days, you know, possibly, hopefully whatever. 
Um, he's going to print them, send them back up here, and then I'll start sending them out. But, uh, you know, there, there are people that paid me, you know, and paid me, you know, three, four weeks ago. And, and I don't want you thinking that we, we, you know, shystered you because we, we certainly didn't. I'll send you the money back if it means that much to you. But, uh, you'll have your shirts and, you know, here soon. Uh, yeah, so the, there's that. I just, I just wanted to get that cleared up. So and next we up, did go fishing. we went fishing and, uh, it wasn't spectacular, but it didn't no. suck. No, we caught fish. Yep. Just the size just wasn't there. Right. Every once in a while, you know, you'd catch a bluegill that was in that seven to nine inch range. Grady caught one, one big one. Run, yeah. Yep. So. I think Grady, between the four of us, might have caught the biggest one. Yeah, uh, that, actually. That one so, that was a pretty good size one. Yep. So me, Grady, Aubrey, and Matt all went over there. We fished uh, Okaboji out in front of the Ritz. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of people out there and... Uh, we kind of bounced around and, uh, you know, we, we caught some, but we didn't catch a ton. Yeah. And it, kind of talking to a few people out there, it, it sounded like that was kind of the thing. Yeah. The you general a, consensus there. You know, a lot of sorting. I think a lot of people kind of had sat there most of the day and, yep. you know, they had, a, they had some fish in the pail, but it was just kind of like, yeah, yep. everybody kind of said the same thing where you had to kind of weed through the little ones. Right. To get the big ones. It was kind of cool to see, you know, talk to a couple of people that listen to the podcast out there. Yeah. It's always kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, no, I guess, uh, unless you got something else to really talk about, uh, this is already going to be a hour and 10 hour and 15 hour and 20 minute episode. I don't know, something like that. Uh, do you got anything else you want to touch before we get into good news stories of the week? Um, I do not. You don't got anything. You got a good news story? I'm thinking of one right now. You're thinking of one. I, I, I've got one, so I'll, I'll talk first, and uh, you can think. Uh, try to ignore me if you need to walk out That's of the room. That's what I do most second. of the time when we oh, do Oh, I this. know that. I know that. Cause you just kind of talk and I can tell because just... it's like you're not getting any smarter. You're just kind of staying at the same <laughs> level of dumbness. You look, you're smarter than you look, see? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My good news story of the week is uh, uh, yesterday when we were out fishing um, – I ended up shooting a text. Uh, well, I don't know if I shot a text or if he shot me a text, and and he said that they were out there. But uh, Matt Grave, uh, he's from uh, a town about twenty minutes away. His uh, his wife actually uh, went to school with me, but uh, you know they were out there as a whole entire family. Uh, you know Matt and Melissa, their son uh, Gabe was out there. Matt's parents were out there. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, they were just a family that was out there fishing that was having a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, you know, actually the first spot that we went, we were not doing spectacular. And Matt, Matt sent me a text and, and said that they had actually gotten into a couple crappies and, uh, we're getting some nice bluegill and, uh, said, you know, Hey, come join us over there. And, uh, I just had a lot of fun fishing along with those dudes and BS and, and, uh, it was just cool to see, you know, a whole family, three generations, uh, you know, all out there just, just having fun and, uh, you know, enjoying the outdoors, staying, you know, the only screen they were looking at was Matt had an underwater camera. That's <laughs> so, right. So that's pretty cool. And, and, uh, so that, that's my good news story. Just, uh, you know, just a family out there, uh, you know, good, clean family fun. It was, it was awesome. Yep. I mean, just to piggyback off of that kind of relate mine to that after you left when they were packing up to leave. Yeah. Gabe come over to my shack and all of a sudden he was really? like knocking on the fabric of my door and stuff like that. So then he had heard how ugly you were and had to <laughs> yeah, see for himself. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of fun, you know. Yeah. So he was telling me about well, he was he was saying that he caught some fish and Really? Yeah, nice. it was it was fun. It was, you know, that's what it's all about. I yeah, guess absolutely. that would be my 
good news story too is just you know seeing a lot of the families out there taking in this sport and right. enjoying it because gabe and, is young i don't know how right. young he is but uh he, he actually took a nap right out there in a sled yeah, if you, in, in the hub shack. So. Yeah, if you're fishing, that's one nice thing about the hub shack. And if you brought it out there in a sled, they put their jackets and yep. stuff like that in there. And he just took a That was a nice little cozy bed. Right. I had a hub shack out there yesterday. And, yep. and uh, we put that up in, in the spot that we weren't catching a ton of fish. But uh, that was a heck of a lot of fun. Like, I, God dang it. If, if, if we can ever get to a spot where there's a solid bite... And to get a couple hub shacks, you know, maybe all right together, you know, because right. I mean, you can talk from hub shack to hub shack and, uh, I don't know that that was fun. I, I still want to get out there and, and spend the night on the ice. I saw Brad Baker spent the night out on Pactola up in Jenny Gulch. So, yeah. uh, uh, I hope, you know, that there's some pictures and some stories along with that because, uh, I mean, I didn't see a smoker out there though. Oh, I, it was out there. I guarantee sure it. Was. I guarantee yeah. it. He had a he had a power box out there, <laughs> smoking smoking some ribs out there, and yeah, well, that's you know, and also you know to go along with yours in the good news story with the graves out there fishing. You know, I saw a picture of Tyler Hicks online. Got his son out there. Two picks, Hicks. Oh, tick, two picks, Hicks. <laughs> two picks, Hicks. <laughs> he I, he gave you a little grief about your you having two. I, he did two that picks. as a shot to me. Oh, I know he did. That a was funny. Into window. He knew you'd see his picture. That's right. That's right. I he he sent me a Snapchat and I said right back to him. So so to set this up, uh, a couple weeks ago, two three weeks ago, I I went out there and I had two toothpicks on my on my jacket, uh, two cold snap T two toothpicks. And a lot of people were kind of giving me some hell, you know, maybe even calling me a little mega motor, uh, you know, with having two toothpicks on there. And, uh, so yeah, I mean the biggest, the biggest culprit of the, of the heck given was, uh, two picks Hicks. And, uh, so next thing you know, here he is, uh, out there, <laughs> he's got two picks and, and he had his son out there. And, and I know the week before he had his son and daughter out there and the freaking auger fell off his drill to the yeah, bottom. I saw that he was looking for somebody with a magnet to come out there. Yeah, so he ended up going and getting a K drill, going and popping a whole bunch of holes, and I don't know, somehow he was able to finagle that thing up. You know, it was in three, four, five foot of water or whatever. But, uh, no, you know, that's a whole nother deal. We got to talk about that. The wildest stuff that's ever been dropped down holes. That's right. That's That, that might be what next week's topic is. I, we are. We're going to try hard to uh, try to get T uh, two on Todd Todd. So, uh, yeah, you want to talk about toothpicks? That's the man that, that really came right up there. with it. T two Todd Todd toothpick, cold snap outdoors. Go get yours right there. Yeah, that's right. So, all righty, guys, we've we've gone long enough. We appreciate all you guys listening to the first episode of twenty twenty one. Yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. God dang it, we about forgot to... All right, all right, all right. Happy New Year. That's it. We're out of here.